I'm going to read verse 17 to begin our time together. Uh, and then we pray the Lord would, by His Spirit, transform us according to the Holy Scriptures today. Hear the word of the Lord. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for the opportunity to uh, open your word with the people of God. To open the word of God with the people of God on the Lord's day. And God, we pray we would be a people of the word. We pray we would surrender our lives to the Lord, to his kingdom, to Jesus who's died for our sins, who you raised from the dead. Through him you give us eternal life. We would be surrendered to him and it would be reflected in the way that we live in this world, the way we treat one another, the way we look at our relationship to, to authority, and most of all, the way we love even our enemies. God, we pray that we would be transformed by the Spirit according to the Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I know an itinerant preacher... And even though he had a very, very large following before the end of his life, even though he was very popular, he was a very poor man. Uh, one reason is the government in, under which he lived was very harsh to him and his followers. It, it was a secular government, and it eventually th it was so threatened by him and his church that they sought to wipe him out. They sought to destroy him. You see, uh, under the government in which he lived, religious liberty, even that phrase would have been a, a fantasy, a fairy tale. Eventually, this government and the leaders gathered against him and formed a mock trial. They labeled him a traitor and gruesomely tortured him to death. This man was Jesus of Nazareth. And knowing that the Roman government would kill him, knowing that he would be brutally tortured and killed by the Roman government, knowing tax dollars would be used to abuse him, to kill him, knowing Roman soldiers would be paid by Roman tax dollars to nail him to a Roman cross that was purchased by Roman tax dollars. When his disciples asked what their relationship to the government should be, Jesus turned to them and he said, Pay Caesar what is Caesar's. Pay your taxes. That's scandalous as we think about our lives under our government. Peter writes to a group of followers that are living under the same government. You see, the church that Peter writes to, the churches, they would know nothing of this scene before us today where we have the American flag on one side and we have the Christian flag on the other. They would know nothing of that. They, they, the, the only thing they knew, the sign and symbol of the Roman government that they knew well was the cross. And the cross was a symbol that was used to destroy them. It was used to scare them to death. It wouldn't have been an ornate object of decoration in their churches. It would have been something that invoked fear in them from the Roman government. And yet Peter writes these words to us today 
to these Christians who are being brutally scared and treated by the Roman government. They are being used as candlelight. Christians are being used as candles at Nero's parties. Christians are the street lamps throughout the Roman world. They are being hung on the side of the road and burned. Oil poured over their bodies so they could light up the streets. That is the government in which they live. That is who Peter tells them they are to surrender to today. Notice verse 13. He says, be subject Submit, the word here to submit, it is willful obedience. It's it's the picture of a soldier in the army. And and what he does in the army is he willfully puts himself in line among other soldiers, among a commander. And he does it for the good of the army, for the good of the leaders. He willfully places himself in line. And Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake. And he says, to every human institution. The word for institution, it it, it means creation. And it, it refers to everything in society, the foundation of society that God himself has established in the world for justice and order. All of these things you are to surrender yourself to, even those that persecute you. And notice he says, for the Lord's sake. It's not just you're to do it because you have no choice. You're to do it because uh, just, just out of sheer, rugged, raw obedience. No, when you surrender to the government, you do so for the Lord's sake. When you surrender to rule and authority and law and order, you do this for the Lord's sake. And notice he, he wants to clarify whether it's the emperor as supreme, whether it's Nero who is demanding worship. Now, you're not supposed to worship him, but whether it's this man who is killing Christians because he thinks he's a god, or governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. And there's the reason. Because these institutions are established for justice, for order. And you, inasmuch as they call you to do what is right, you are to do what is right. You're not to reject their authority just because they're against you. They establish rules. They establish law and order in the world. And you are to surrender to those things. Notice verse 15. For this is the will of God. This is your calling. This is your plan. That by doing good, you may silence the ignorance of foolish people. Remember, Nero is accusing Christians of starting a fire in Rome, trying to burn down Rome. That's where the persecution began. And he says, as you surrender to law and order, for the Lord's sake, as you obey the Lord by surrendering to the government, you are putting to silence those accusations. They ring hollow. But notice he says you are to live as a people who are free. You're to not use your free as a co- freedom as a cover 
up for evil, but living as servants to God. And I want you to notice something already. He said, for the Lord's sake, and he says, as servants to God. And so you always obey God first. You do what God has called you to do. But one of the things you do because you are free, notice the word free, because you are a part of another kingdom, is you can submit. And you don't say, this is, this is not my home. I'm a part of another government that will come and rule and reign, so I don't care what this government says. You don't say that. No, you are law-abiding citizens because this is the will of God and it declares your freedom. And he summarizes what that looks like in verse 17. Honor everyone. You are to engage in general good for every man created in the image of God. As you look at citizens of the kingdom which you're a part of you're to say God created all of these people in the image of God no matter color no matter background and you are to honor them notice he says love the brotherhood he refers here to the church. The church is primary in your life. Even as you are persecuted by the government, you are to be bound together with the church, meeting one another's needs. And then he says, fear God. You're to be harnessed by this reverence before God. What he says comes first. I'm going to obey him no matter what. No matter what the government tells me to do, I'm obeying God. But you also honor the emperor. And notice he uses the same word, honor the emperor, as he uses for honoring every person. He's saying the emperor is just a man, but you respect his position and authority. And, and we can find some principles in this first section we're looking at as citizens in the government in which we live. First of all, we submit to God first as our ultimate authority. That's where you start. As a citizen in this government, God is your first authority. And you never, you never obey someone else to disobey God. That's why Christians around the world right now, they're still meeting in places where it's illegal to meet. And they're still proclaiming the gospel. And they're still planting churches in places they're not supposed to be. Why? They obey God first and foremost. And there are even times when the government will harm other people that we stand up and we obey God first and we honor everyone. We love our neighbor. But we also submit to government as God's good gift for justice in the world. We're happy there's government because there is a right and wrong and government establishes order. There's justice. There's policemen. There's court systems. There are things in our world that, that, that establish justice and order. And we look at those things and we delight in God's grace. We're not grumbling when we see a speed limit sign. There's order. You can't just do whatever you want. That's a good thing. It's not chaotic when we get on the streets. But we also submit to the government for the sake of the gospel. We pay our taxes, we obey codes, ordinances, regulations concerning bathrooms and parking. We have to do those things as a church because we're a people of order. At the most basic level, at the most base level as a Christian, your witness centers around being a law-abiding citizen to the glory of God. And one of the ways you do that as a Christian is when you're pulled over. Yes, officer. I was speeding. Yes, that's true. 
they see the sticker, Ashland Church on the back, and you got your Bible, you sort of place it up on the dashboard. <laughs> I wouldn't know what that's like. Never done that. We submit to these things as law-abiding citizens because it declares the gospel, that, that we're okay with order. We also submit to government here to serve our neighbor. We're not slaves to this government, and we don't deify our country. We don't make our country God, but we also don't disregard it. We don't act like it's not a big deal. God has placed you in this country, and He has given you all kinds of freedoms. He has given you the opportunity in this country to vote, so you should vote. Why? For the good of your neighbor. Not just the tax benefits and all the, the privileges that you get. And hopefully those things work together. But sometimes they may not. But you are most concerned about your neighbor. And you have been given, the, the, even as in Romans 13, the sword. When you walk into a voter's booth, you are executing justice for your neighbor. You are, you are surrendered to God and you are asking, how can I obey God in this moment? And that's going to work out differently for everyone here in some sense. Maybe there's all kinds of differences of opinions here, but you are a slave to God. You are honoring and worshiping God in those moments for the good of your neighbor. God has given us that privilege and we should thank Him for it. On a daily basis, 4,000 children are murdered in our country. And you have been given the freedom to say something about it. Why would you not if you are surrendered to the Lordship of Christ? We want a society where we can keep doing this. We can keep gathering together and worshiping and planting churches. We, and so we work together as citizens using the freedom God has given us here to do that. It's not a burden. It, we don't deify it, but we don't disregard it. But I do want to say this before we move on. Uh, Peter's point here is even if those freedoms were taken away, you still have to submit to law and order. And you can do that to the glory of Christ. And you have brothers and sisters around the world who are doing that today. The, the, the church is their priority. The brotherhood is their priority. And they are hidden away under candlelight. They are reading scripture. They, they hummed Amazing Grace today because they could not sing it too loud or they would be arrested. And Peter would say the same thing to them. You still have to submit to law and order. And notice he even goes further here. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. In, in this cultural context, there was slavery. Slaves were acquired through war. They were passed down through families. Uh, in the New Testament, slaves could, uh, th this culture, the slaves could have been doctors and artists and musicians. It's a little different than the, the visions of slavery we, we have in our own country. You could have been freed from your slavery if your master wanted you to. But here, notice what he says. With all respect, you submit to them, you listen and do what they say, not only, notice, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now, one of the reasons when we read most of the New Testament letters and it addresses slaves is because there were a lot of Christians who were slaves. The poor, the outcast, 
Jesus, the gospel, gave them hope. And now they have hope in Jesus, and yet they have a master. And maybe he's good to them. Maybe, though, he is unjust to them. What are they to do? They are still to listen. They are still to obey. They're not to lash out. Notice verse 19, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, when one endures sorrows, suffering unjustly, you don't deserve to suffer, but you do. And then verse 20 says, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten, you endure for it? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And so he says to the slave who, there's no way for you to be free in that culture. Listen to your master as a declaration of the gospel. If you are lashing out, if you are disobeying, if you are not submissive, what good is it for you to throw a fit when you suffer? No, you obey God, remember, first and foremost, and then you surrender. And then you do so because ultimately he says, notice, this is a gracious thing and the word here is commendable. You find favor with God. And so there is freedom even for the slave to say, okay, this is not what I would have chosen for my life. And there is no way for me to move out of this. This is not what I would, would want. And yet you in that moment, you, you say, no, my kingdom is the kingdom of God. And God has approved me. And God is my Lord. And so I can endure even injustice now because that is my hope and that is my freedom. And I want to say this very clearly. Any system where humans are viewed as property and animals, we reject as Christians. But there are circumstances even today where we have brothers and sisters who are seen as slaves around the world. And this word is that they, in light of the fact they are approved by God, surrender and they do what is right under the authority of God. Now, you'll probably never find yourself in a position where you are owned by another person. So how does this apply to you? Here's the deal. God has designed authority in your life for your good. There, There are people who have been placed in authority in your life good and bad, and that is the design of God to teach you submission. And it's a sign of the gospel. We live and there is sin in our hearts where we just want to bow up to authority, where we just say, don't tell me what to do. I'm king. And one of the things that happens when our hearts are transformed by the gospel is you have to surrender to another king and his name is Jesus. And what that does in your life is surrender and submission begins to ooze and permeate outside of your life. And you are a person harnessed by another authority and it is displayed in the way that you submit to authority. And here, if he says the slave is to submit to an unjust master, there's all kinds of authority in your life that you are to surrender to as well. Listen, if you want to look like what we've talked about in 1 Peter, an exile, an alien, a foreigner in this world, be okay with the fact that somebody else is going to tell you what to do. And close your mouth. And don't whine and complain about it all the time. You're going to have bosses who they're going to... They're going to reward you with raises and promotions and they're going to do what's right uh, by you. And then you're going to have some bosses that don't. And they look over you 
And they don't give you the raise and promotion. And guess what? You are free to find another job. But if you're going to stay there, you're also free not to gossip and complain about them in the break room. If you're going to stay there, you, you display the gospel by keeping your mouth shut. By, by, by surrendering because it is a sign that you've been harnessed by Jesus. You're going to have professors who hate Christianity. They despise it. They're going to mock Christians in the classroom. And you know what you should do, students? You should still do your work to the glory of God. You should not be lazy. You should do all things with excellence. And you should be respectful even to that professor so that when you declare to him that Jesus is Lord, it has some sort of credibility. And he's not just, yeah, all Christians are lazy and morons. No, you work to the glory of God and you harness yourself even under such authority or transfer to a Christian college, I guess. But if you're going to stay there, close your mouth and do your work to the glory of God. Some of us have homeowners associations. <laughs> you all laugh because there are really stupid rules. Don't bark in your front yard. I mean, I'm from Tennessee. Everybody parks in the front yard. And if you're going to stay there, one of the signs of the gospel in your life is you withhold your little keyboard courage on the Facebook page and invent everybody else chose to live there just like you. And you harness yourself for the good of the gospel. That, that's good in your life to have to listen to someone else. And, and parents, we have to teach our kids authority. You have to. You've got to teach your children that it's okay to do what other adults tell them to do. You should teach your kids that. That adults, their, their teachers aren't the enemies at school. They're not victims to someone else who just told them to do something. You don't have to protect them from that. You don't have to protect them from someone that's holding them accountable to right and wrong. Their coach isn't a moron, an idiot, because they're not starting that's not the case. No. You say, God has placed us here. This person is your authority, and you're going to do what they say, or you're going to have to answer to me. I've had teachers just weep in my presence when I talk to them, and it's like they're scared to death. Oh, no. Here's another parent. They're, they're, oh, no. What did I do wrong? And I say, no, no, no. I don't want to know what you did wrong. I want to know what he did wrong because I'm about to deal with him. And then they start, oh, no, he's a great student. He's so good. He's so good. No, 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 because they see the fire in my eyes. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean that. Okay, let me go back and look at his grade. No, no, no. I'm not changing those grades. No, you teach your kids that there is authority, because here's the deal. It's not just good manners. Some of us think, oh, that's good manners. No, if they won't surrender to the voice of an adult that says no, if they will not rise to accountability to another person in authority that tells them what to do, when the Lord Jesus Christ, King of the universe, says follow me, they're not going to know what an authoritative voice is. They're not going to know how to surrender. 
And one of the signs of the gospel is you recognize authority because you've recognized the authority and his name is Jesus. And notice what Jesus has done for us. Verse 21, for this you have been called surrendering to authority, surrendering to the authority of Jesus and surrendering to the kind of authority Jesus himself surrendered to. Notice, because Christ also suffered. You're going to suffer injustice in the world. You are. Things aren't going to go your way and people are going to make bad decisions in light of you. That's going to happen. It happened to Jesus too. He suffered the only one who did not deserve to suffer. And notice he says, He left you an example that you might follow in His steps. The word for example here, it means to mimic. It means to pattern. And steps literally means footprints. You see, Jesus has called us to take up our cross and follow Him. He took up his cross and he endured injustice at the hands of the religious establishment who called him a blasphemer. He endured a Roman cross, not as a sinner, not as a rebel, but one who is perfect and just. He endured that for you. And that's a pattern that you take in your life. You take up your cross and you suffer for the good of others. And notice, he committed no sin. Literally, he was innocent. He did not deserve to suffer. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. We read in the scriptures that out of our mouth comes what's in our hearts. Out of our mouth comes what's in our hearts. And Jesus was pure through and through. And so there was no deceit that came out of his mouth. Everything that Jesus said was just and right and pure because he was just right and pure. And notice the text continues. When he reviled, he did not revile in in return. The word for revile means to just pile on with humiliation. He was mocked. He was vilified. He was called king of the Jews. Oh, you, you talk about saving others and you can't save yourself. He was, he was beaten brutally like an abused dog in the streets, vilified and mocked, and yet he did not revile in turn, return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, and he was the one who could threaten to wipe everyone out, and yet he stayed restrained. He submitted to this injustice. He continued to entrust himself to the one who judges justly. God approved of him, and he knows that God is going to judge all men, and he knew that he was innocent, and so he was willing to endure suffering for others. Now, when we think about submission, a lot of us think it's just weak, That if I don't let somebody have it, I'm just weak. If I don't vent, I'm just weak. If I don't bow up, that's weakness. Was Jesus weak? No. He stood before Pilate and he said, you don't have any authority over me. The only authority you have is what I lay down before you. And when Jesus stood before the rulers and he did not open his mouth, it freaked them out. They were like, what is it? This man is being unjustly accused and he's just standing before us. And he stood before them with power. He stood before them with conviction. And he said, no one takes my life. I lay it down. Oh, that is power. That is not weakness. 
Submission is not weakness. It is the power of the kingdom in our life. We're not threatened by the forces of this world. Why? Because we win in the end. The kingdom isn't threatened, so we don't threaten. And the kingdom we're a part of is right, and it rules, and it reigns forever. Why are we freaking out? Why are we freaking out? Why is everything just something we've got to be outraged about? Relax. You win in the end. That's power. That's not weakness. You don't have to chime in on every little controversy in the world. You don't have to let your opinion known all the time. No, and when you let your opinion known, it's not of an opinion. It's the truth of the gospel. You declare the gospel. And so you're not lashing out. You're not freaking out. Freaking out is a sign of defeat. Desperation is a sign of defeat. Little snarky memes on Facebook that borderline untruth. That's somebody who's been defeated. That's somebody who's desperate. The Christian is not desperate. He is a part of Jesus' kingdom that rules and reigns. And so he can submit. And there's times when he closes his mouth because the gospel is more important. Notice he continues, he bore our sin. This is the root of submission. You're bearing, you're, you're, you're bearing authority for the good of others. But notice what he bears. He bears our sin in his body on the tree. The word for bore, it means to carry a massive weight. Jesus carried the massive weight of your sin, even though he didn't deserve to. He was perfect. He was pure. And yet he bore the infinite justice for your sin even though he did not deserve to, on a tree. And the tree here, it, it, it takes on the imagery of cursed. Cursed is the one who's on a tree. He was hung, he was lynched, he was executed for you. He didn't deserve it. Notice that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He died, even though he didn't deserve to, we deserve to die. But instead of us dying in our sin, we die to sin and we live to his righteousness. And notice, by his wounds you have been healed. The, the word wounds here, it is the wounding of a sheep that constantly runs away, that's constantly getting off course. And what the shepherd does is hits the sheep, kicks the sheep back in line. Jesus endured that for you. You're the one that gets out of line. And yet Jesus was wounded as a sheep, a rebellious sheep who did not open his mouth and he did it for you. Notice verse 25, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. You, you were the one who was off course. You were harassed. You were confused. You were running every which way. And now you have brought un, been brought into the, the authority and surrender to the chief shepherd, the overseer of your soul. And you are harnessed by the one who has suffered for you. And so submission becomes a natural thing in your life because you're following in the pattern of Jesus. Now as you look at your life and you think about the way you've been wronged and you think about certain situations in your life that there are certain situations you should get out of. You're not just to be abused. Not just to submit to submit. No, but there are certain situations where you're not sinning to stay there and you think, why would I endure this? Well, you look to Jesus. And if you have a problem with enduring injustice, you have a problem with the cross. You see, Jesus, it wasn't, the cross wasn't some mistake. 
It was Jesus willfully surrendering to the cross for your good. He surrendered to injustice for your good. And it wasn't just a corrupt government, it was a corrupt heart, your heart. Jesus endured injustice for you. And so you can endure injustice, but here's the deal, for others. Realize, without submission, you're headed to hell. Without the submission of the Son of God, you're still in your sins. He did that for you, and so now you, who have been freed, you've been freed from this world, you're free from sin, you submit to injustice even for others. Some of you are here today and you are mocked by, for being a Christian. Your spouse will not come to church with you. They won't. And every Sunday morning, there's a little tension in your home. And they almost make fun of you. Why are you going to church? You know what you did this week. There's no sense in wasting your time there. You're a sinner just like me. You endure that for their good. Because they are seeing Jesus in you as you endure such humiliation for their good. Some of you are here today and, and you have co-workers and they're just irritated with you. You talk about your church, you talk about Jesus, they know you're a Christian. At lunchtime you open up your Bible and that irritates them. They may not, they may not even say anything to you. They just don't like being around you. And you know there's tension. You continually endure that for their soul. If they're irritated because I'm a Christian, I'm really going to irritate them. Because I ain't going nowhere. And I'm going to keep talking about Jesus. And you endure those awkward, un uncomfortable moments. Some of you have friends. And you're inviting to church. You're inviting to things that go on here. You're talking to them about Jesus. And they do this thing called ghosting. That's a new thing. People have been telling me about it. <laughs> like, hey, I told so-and-so about this. And I just haven't heard back from them on a text message. And they say, college students go, that's called ghosting. It's like a cool thing to do. You just ghost people. You don't respond. Ghosting is sin, by the way. <laughs> just say, I ain't coming. Leave me alone. I ain't coming. I ain't serving. I ain't doing that. Just say it. It's okay. But, but some of you have friends who, they're ghosting you. You keep reaching out to them, and they just ignore you. They just ignore you. You endure that awkwardness. You endure that sort of anxiety in your gut where, do I invite them again? Do I send this text message? Do I call them? Do I send this Facebook message? Do I share this with them? And, and that, that anxiety, you endure that, even though you're on the right side of that engagement, you do that for their good. And you're going to have people in your life who personally wrong you. You are. That teacher isn't always going to treat your little foo-foo like they should. They're not. They're going to deserve better grades. And one of the tragedies in our culture is you think they deserve more, and if you call the teacher, they're scared to death, and they're going to give you a better grade just because that's the way it works. Don't do that. Don't do that. For the sake of the gospel, submit to authority. But then there's times where you really do deserve the grade. And your kid really does deserve to start. He's the next LeBron James. And coach just can't see it. He dunks at home. He's awesome. And get over it. Why? It ain't about you. It ain't about your little foo-foo. 
It is about that person created in the image of God who needs to see Jesus. And so you surrender even to injustice at times because it ain't a big deal. You win in the end. Your justice has been proven on the cross. You will be raised from your casket. You will rule and reign with Jesus forever. Now here's the thing. Peter would not like this sermon before the cross. The man who writes these words would have hated these words. He wouldn't have preached anything like this. Remember when Jesus says to Peter, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die at the hands of the authority there. What does Peter say? No! It ain't going to happen. I'm not going to let you die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. This is, this is what we're going to... You can't be saved from your sins if I don't die for you. And then in the upper room, as Jesus goes around and he begins to wash the disciples' feet, what is, what is Peter, the man who wrote these words, what does he say? No, you're not going to wash my feet. He's constantly bowing up. He's constantly bucking. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And where is Peter? I never knew him. I'm not going to endure Endure such suffering and injustice. I never knew him. He is bowing up. He is bowing up to the cross. And yet, how can he write these words? A man, when they came to get Jesus, and Jesus just, just turns himself in out of power and authority. He turns himself in for your good. What does Peter do? He takes out a sword and he cuts the Roman soldier's ear off. Peter, who's calling us to submit, was not by nature a man who wanted to submit to the Roman government or the cross. He didn't want to do it. So, what changed? What changed? Oh, what changed was Jesus laying out his hand on a Roman cross. And as they firmly fitted his wrist to the pole and they drove the spike through, he didn't deserve it. Shouldn't have been there. What did he say to the man who drove the spike through his wrist? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He saw Jesus. He saw a man back from the dead looking him in the eyes. A resurrected corpse looking him in the eyes and saying, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. It's okay, Peter. I'm back from the dead. We win in the end. We do. And what do we find Peter doing in the book of Acts? He's in and out of prison over and over again. And Peter was a man when it came to the end of his life he was known for civil disobedience. He said, if you're going to tell me to not preach the gospel, I'm still going to preach the gospel. If you tell me not to plant churches, I'm still planting churches. I'm still writing the letter. And so at the end of his life, following in the footsteps of Jesus, Peter is drugged before a cross. And they go to prop Peter up on the cross. And he says, no, no, you're not going to crucify me that way. Turn me upside down. Because I do not deserve to be hung the same way my king was hung. And out of surrender for Jesus, he's crucified upside down. Oh, how do you get to that point? Oh, you stay at the cross. You stay at the cross where Jesus submitted to an unjust Roman government for your sins. 
You follow a slave named Jesus who, who washed his disciples' feet. Even though he didn't deserve to be a slave, he was a king. And as you follow him, as you follow in his footsteps, you, you, you begin to see the meekness of a lamb that was led to slaughter for your good. And you embrace submission to the glory of God for the good of others.